Welcome to Step Up, the podcast where we learn to advocate like a woman. I'm your host, Ellen Troxclair. Each week, we talk to a different leader about how she became active in policy and politics. Whether it's joining an organization or running for office, I hope you come away feeling not only supported and inspired, but determined to step up and be a part of shaping your community and country. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that my new book, Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman, is out now. If you like this podcast, you'll love the book because we dive deeper into all of the topics that we've covered. Buy it today on amazon.com or anywhere online. Check it out, leave a review, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast of Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman. This is a big week because we have our first man on the podcast, Jason Isaac. Jason is a former state representative. Uh, He's my former boss. I worked as his chief of staff before I ran for council, and he currently serves as a senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, specializing in energy and the environment. So hello, Jason. Hello, Ellen. So good to be here. You know, it's funny you say I'm your former boss, but I always tell people that you trained me really well. So I don't know. I think the roles were a little bit reversed. First, you managed me very well. Well, we made a we made a good team, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, it was such a. I still remember, you know, how nervous I was coming in to to interview for the chief of staff position. I was probably. I don't know, 25 or something like that, um, coming in to work in your office. And I'm so grateful that you took um, a chance on me and hired me to run your office as a freshman legislator. I know you had a steep learning curve there, and it was really great experience for me being um, working for you. So, Well, we accomplished a lot in our four years that we worked together, yes. and uh, I couldn't have done it without you. There's no no doubt about that. So you said I trained you. What, is, what do you mean? So you, tra- you, you had legislative experience in the Capitol, and I had only been in the Capitol twice before mm. got, getting elected, and it was visiting for trucking day at the Capitol with a, a group of, of people that worked in the trucking industry that mm-hmm. I worked in. Um, and that was my experience in the Capitol. You had a lot more experience, and so you really did. You taught me about committees. You taught me about how to file bills and, and the process and how the floor works uh, and really how to get things done. And I think that's why one of the reasons we were so effective, the, the two terms that you were with me, and then it kind of just fell off after that. <laughs> uh, well, so what was I, – I also still remember texting you or and saying, hey, can you meet me at – Starbucks at the Y in Oak Hill. I have something I want to talk to you about. I remember that very well. I was super nervous and I knew that I had a gym and I tried to compensate you as best I possibly could because one of my biggest fears is that a senator would steal you or Mm -hmm. a more senior member of the house would steal you. And so I always was concerned about that. And I said, I've got to take care of the people that I really, really like and I want to work with and continue to work with. And I thought, man, she's calling me because there's two things. She's either pregnant or she has a senator that's going to steal her from me. And I was just so, I was kind of nervous because normally we'd have these open conversations and you said, well, we, I think we really need to meet face to face. And right. I just was like, what was going through my mind racing? I was like a teenager that was about to get dumped or something. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it that I told you? Well, you, you told me that you and your husband had been interviewing people to look at city council candidates, which is something that I was impressed with when I interviewed with you is, is you talked about how you would actually have candidates over to your home and you would visit with them and you'd learn about their principles. 
And that was what you were doing for the Austin City Council race. And you told me that you wanted to run for office. And still surreal. Yeah. And, 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 and I was like, well, I'll, I, and you, and you said, you said, I need your support. And I said, I'll support you 100%. And then you said, you know, if I win, I'll have to leave. And I'm like, wait, I, I, I completely take all that back. I don't, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I'm going to work against you. No. Um, but I did. I, I supported you. And, and you actually managed to run a campaign while working for the state and serving me at the same time, balancing multiple things at the same time, which is someone who suffers from ADD. I have a tough time managing two things at the mm. same time. But you did that and working at the same time in your personal career that you have. And I was just so impressed. But uh, And I knew from that very moment, I said, you're going to win. And I knew it because I, I, I knew your character. I knew how hard you work at things. And uh, that's the way it turned out. And you did. And you you served the citizens of Austin very well for four years. And I was very sad to see you leave my office and actually had to call you back in a couple of times because I needed help. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Well, so you brought up a, a few things. First of all, I think that trying to balance a job while running for office is something that a lot of candidates really struggle with because running a campaign is very time consuming. And without the flexibility that you gave me to um, understand why this was important to me and, and supported me 100%, um, it would have been really difficult. I mean, if it, it would have been, I don't know if I would have been able to run for office if, you know, I had to go six months without a salary. So it was a blessing that I was able to manage both. And it's funny that you say that you knew I was going to win from the beginning, because I, I mean, I hoped I would, but I was definitely the underdog. So I think that you were probably part of a very small group who thought who thought I was going to win at the, at the outset. But you really prepared me well, because I watched you in your first race, you ran a campaign against a very powerful incumbent, Democrat, in who had held that seat for, what, eight years? Yeah, eight years. So this was a blue district that you were running in, um, and he was also a committee chair. And so here you were, um, someone who was familiar with politics and how it affected you from the tr- your job in the trucking industry, um, but that didn't stop you. You still, you, and you had a lot of people, I think, in even the local party say, you know what, he's a business friendly Democrat. You know, we don't want to spend money on a race that we can't win. We really would prefer that you not run. And you did it anyway. And by the way, you did win. So tell us about that. Yeah, I was extremely, I was extremely naive in the whole process and thought, well, why wouldn't I win? Or why, why shouldn't I run? And when you do, when you have people of your own party that share your own ideals coming to you and saying, please don't run, because if you do, he's going to spend a million dollars and you're going to kill us down ballot and everybody will hate you. I mean, those words were said to me mm-hmm. in 2009. Um, and I quickly just said, well, thank you for the endorsement. I appreciate it. I'm going to jump in. And then people were saying, no, you're not hearing us. And, and they were wrong. He didn't spend a million dollars against me. He spent $2 million against oh. me. And so we were, we were successful in winning that race that we weren't supposed to win. Mm-hmm. But again, I was just so naive and I, I wish I was still naive at this point. I served for four terms. I didn't choose to run for re-election to the Texas House. I instead ran for uh, the U.S. House and wasn't successful. God had different plans and it's an absolute blessing for my family. And I came in fourth out of an 18-way primary. But to do that, I had to give up running for re-election to the Texas House. Mm. And the seat flipped to someone who does not ideologically align with that district at all. And so I encouraged my wife to run for the seat. People were asking me to run for the seat. And I said, no, my wife will give us a better chance to win. 
And people are like, do you think she'll do it? It took me about five months to talk her into it. Mm-hmm. It's been a very tough campaign, but I'm, I'm confident that she's going to be successful because she works harder, quite honestly, than I do. Right. Well, it. I know from experience that she was behind you on 100% when you ran and on the campaign trail, you know, every step of the way going to events when you had something else going on that day. And so now it's really cool to see kind of the tables turn now and her say, yeah, I'm willing to do it. I think I can do it. And to see you supporting her. So it's, it's, it's been really cool to see. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, my, during my eight years of service, really during my first few months of service, she told me after the election, you won your race, I'm going to go train for mine. I didn't know what that meant, but for the next six months, she trained to compete in the first Ironman in Mm. the state of Texas. And we were actually in legislative session the day that it was happening. And in May, May 21st, 2011, and I'm tracking her online to see how she's doing to make sure everything's okay. And so I'd get these updates every now and then we gaveled out and I raced to the woodlands to watch her finish, come across the finish line as an Ironman. And it's it's really one of the most exciting things when you hear the announcer and all this rock music, Carrie, Isaac, you are an Ironman and your adrenaline just go and you get chills. And there she is smiling like she just finished a walk around the block. I mean, she had all this energy. I thought she was going to collapse. She didn't. And I knew at that point in time that she has the stamina to endure almost anything. Um, and so we, that's what we're kind of looking at this campaign is, hey, you're, you're just doing another Ironman. Mm-hmm. It's not something you do right. in you know, 50 meters. It's something you do over 140.6 right. miles, and you've got multiple legs of the race, and you've got to have this endurance and discipline. And she's done really well with it. Uh, and so I'm impressed. She also got her master's while I was serving. And that I almost wish she'd trained for Ironman because the master's took about two and a half, almost three years. And the boys and I would miss her while she was taking classes. Uh, but she's doing this while she's raising a family. Mm-hmm. She's running her own uh, business, consulting people on health and nutrition, and then takes over and gets involved with nonprofits. Uh, so it's, it's amazing what, what she can handle. Right. Well, there is truly nothing that she can't do. And she's exactly the kind of woman that we hope to be kind of speaking to and inspiring on this podcast is, you know, you're already being a leader in so many of these other areas. You can be a leader in policy and politics, too. Yeah. And I'll encourage the men that are listening. I'm honored to be the first man on the uh, mm-hmm. the podcast. But oh, we I will, do have a lot of male listeners. That's great. Well, yeah. I will encourage the men, just like really anybody. We all need cheerleaders in our lives and encourage people to do things that may be necessarily uncomfortable because you'll grow from it. Um, and I remember I've got a, a story of someone that really had this um, impressionable moment on my life. I was right out of college. I was volunteering, coaching lacrosse. And I'm on the sidelines and after a game. And we had just beat this team. I want to say it was seven to nothing. And I had one of the parents come over to me afterwards, and I I think it was our first game. I didn't know all the parents of the kids I was coaching. And this parent came up to me and said, hey, I just want to thank you for cheering for my son. You were the only one that was cheering for him. And I said, oh, which one's your son? And it kind of made me feel pretty good that I was cheering for their son. But it made me feel really a lot better when they told me their son was the goalie on the other team. And I thought, oh, wow, how sad. And they just said, you know, it was really neat that you're playing against our son and you were cheering for him. And we thought, that's just really special. We appreciate it. And they were very sincere. And I thought, wow, that was probably my first full game coaching lacrosse. But they transformed my life and really had a big impact. I don't remember this person. I don't know who it was. But I thought, I'm going to do that. When I coach from now on, I'm going to cheer for both teams. I'm going to try to build people up. Mm -hmm. And we all need cheerleaders in our lives. 
the number one thing that we all want is to feel important. Right. And if we have people in our lives that are helping us feel important, it'll be transformational. It'll mm -hmm. build up the entire world. I mean, if you build each other up, it, it, we'll all be stronger and better. Yeah. And I feel like I live that firsthand working in your office. You always wanted your staff uh, to feel empowered. You took our opinions and our recommendations very seriously. You also wanted us to know that you would be 100% supportive if we've Found you didn't want us to leave, but yep. um, but you wanted us. Uh, you wanted to prepare us to go on to do bigger and better things. It wasn't your goal to kind of you know keep us in your office for the foreseeable future. You wanted to pre prepare us to do whatever it is we were going to go on and do. You're, you're, I know, Ellen, you're familiar. Listeners may not be familiar, but we get, if you're a legislator, you get, uh, what do they call them? Uh, pages for a day. Oh, uh -huh. You get to have somebody on the House floor with you, kind of shadow you for a day. And I thought, well, we're, we're going to turn this into like a really a micro internship. And I'm going to have, I'm going to ask our high schools, our local high schools, our homeschool groups and our private schools, if they have seniors that are women that are interested in spending a day with me at the Capitol, going to the committee hearings, going, being on the floor, helping me cast votes on the floor, sitting in my desk. And we did. We had several applicants. We went through those applicants. We vetted them. And we had young women spend a day with me on the Capitol, in the Capitol, and really sitting there at my desk casting votes. Mm. And it was exciting. It was really good for them. Yeah. I do think that the programs that, number one, providing that that constant encouragement and being that cheerleader for people who you who are in your circles is important. And then number two, looking for those opportunities and providing, I mean, that exposure to the Texas House and to sitting on the on the floor, that is going to give those young women the confidence that they need to think, well, yeah, I could I could do this because I did it. I already did it for a day. So it's great that you recognize that. And I wanna I wanna take us into a, a different part of this conversation in that a lot of times these conversations are really happening in groups of women. And that's important. And, and of course, that's how this podcast started too. You know, we've had a lot of uh, female guests on here and I, and I do think that there's something to be said for um, having conversations in, in places that you really feel comfortable. But at the same time, I wouldn't be where I am today without amazing, supportive men, um, including you, including my husband, uh, cheering me on every step of the way. So, you know, I really realized that we can't just be having this conversation in silos. We need to educate men about that there is a disparity. And then number two, what they can do to to help us overcome it. And I think that the left has often approached this as very adversarial conversation that, you know, you men, have, men are too powerful and we need to take you down a notch and uh, women are coming at you. And I don't think that that's the right approach at all, because that certainly has not been my experience. Um, yeah. What do you? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that's one of the reasons why I encourage my wife to step up and run for state representative and really get her outside of her comfort zone. She's not comfortable in front of groups speaking, but that's something that's part of the, mm -hmm. the job application process. But I also know her background. And I, I, I've i always said, since I've been in the legislature, I feel like the Texas legislature is really, there's three people that, that probably are best suited for them personally and financially. It's people that are independently wealthy, retired, or attorneys. And we're none of those. Mm. And so, but 
I really think me serving was more representative of the district I was serving. You know, young family, uh, working class people that are worried you know, about making their mortgages and paying their property taxes and burdened mm-hmm. by these increases in government. And uh, who, who better than my wife who grew up in this blue collar working environment to really step up and, and serve and represent that type of people to make sure that government doesn't increase burdens. It's actually working to decrease burdens mm-hmm. to give us more freedom and more flexibility uh, so that we're not worried about where we're going to be getting the money from to pay our electric bills mm-hmm. or pay our grocery bills because you see a growing number of people that are having to choose between heating and eating, which is an unfortunate in this country, and especially in Texas, we're so blessed with the energy resources that we have, but people are having to make those difficult decisions because there's a lot of people in government that think, we'll just we'll, oh, we'll just raise this just a little bit, we'll raise this fee a little bit so we can get more money. Well, that money's not being spent as efficiently as it should. Mm. And I think our attitude is less government means more freedom, uh, and we need more people that are really serving like that and truly know what it means to come from a background where people have struggled. Well, and one of my favorite stories of, you know, what what are we missing out on when we don't have women and moms at the table? And the story I chronicle it in my new book, Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman, buy it on Amazon or wherever books are sold, um, is the story of Patricia Rucker. She's a She was a homeschool mom of five with two special needs children who got frustrated, ran for office, ran for uh, the state house, lost, uh, ran again, and now is a state senator in West Virginia. And she said, not only is she one of only three women in their house, which is crazy, but she also tells the story about how, um, you know, she drives, she doesn't come from means. She was an immigrant from Venezuela. She uh, drives a minivan, you know, around town, dropping her kids off at all of the different activities that they need to go to. And when the issue of the tax, increasing the gas tax came up, she was the only person, even among her Republican uh, caucus, she was the only person saying, no, but that three cents does make a difference to me because we're not people of means. And, um, and you know, my, my, I have five kids and I need to drive a minivan. I can't drive a Prius. You know, that's not an option for me. I can't ride my bike. That's not an option for me. And without her voice and, and a seat at the table, that perspective would have gone completely unrepresented. So I really do think that it adds um, that having not only ideological diversity, but, um, but of course, gender and life experience diversity really adds to the richness of our policy debates and our conversations. Well, we need some people that are representing those that won't tolerate a three cent gas tax increase when there's opportunities. There's plenty of money. I've always said the government has enough of our money. It's, it's they, not spending it well. How they spend it. Yeah. yeah. And so there's definitely improvements for that that are, that are needed. And we do. We need that voice to be heard because if if you don't have that voice, then what you're going to have is a bunch of older, wealthy, and white people that just that are that are fine. Oh, hey, I can afford to pay this much more right. for my driver's license and my vehicle registration and and my safety inspection. That's that's no big deal. I can handle it. I right. mean, and we need the money. Not really. You need some people there to keep that in check. Yep. You know, I think it was Dr. Ruth that said you can't consistently perform in a manner which is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. 
So you can't consistently perform in a manner which is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. So that's one of the reasons why I would bring these women from these young women from high school in and set them in the chair on the house floor mm. because I want them to have this visualization. I would take them up to the gavel at the, at the speaker's dais and actually have them bang the gavel because now they have that visualization. It, I've planted a seed that will hopefully sprout in 7, 10, 20 years. For them to then say, you know what, I can actually see myself holding Mm -hmm. that gavel. I can see myself sitting in that desk, pushing the button, making the votes for the people. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important that we actually do visualize ourselves being successful, putting ourselves in certain spots and and we'll we'll be successful in getting there. Yeah. And you are setting such a great example of why it's so important to, again, have men involved in this conversation, because look at all of the lives that you will have touched through that program um, that wouldn't have been possible without you. You know, you're setting a a great example of what it means to be um, an advocate and an ally for for women. So I look forward to kind of following their stories and um, hopefully seeing their names on the ballot one day. I hope so, too. (laughs) So I normally ask women who are guests on the podcast about what their advice is for other women who might be looking to, to get involved. But I'll ask you, what is your advice advice for the guys who are listening? Uh, again, I think to be a cheerleader, to encourage the, their wives to get outside of their comfort zone. It, it, it will do nothing but result in growth and it will be stressful. But ch- taking on new challenging new challenges, it's so important for the future of our country. And we can really think about it like that. If you look at the Texas House of Representatives, they're going to be drawing redistricting lines for the state of Texas. Right now, we have 36 members of Congress, 23 Republicans, 13 Democrats. Next election, next next session in 2021, that could be 39 to 40 seats that are being drawn. If the Democrats control the Texas House, they won't pass a redistricting plan for the congressional seats. That will go to a three-judge panel. That is, two of those judges were appointed by President Obama. You know how the districts are going to be drawn. They're going to be drawn to favor Democrats. And you could have a complete flip in the U.S. House of Republican to Democrat representation, and you lose the U.S. House of Representatives for 10 years. There's a 17-vote margin between the majority and the U.S. House right now, and that could that could go to 30 if tex- if the Texas House flips to being blue this next election cycle. Wow. Yeah, thanks for connecting all the dots because I don't even know that I had really thought through how that would impact. So the elections to our our Texas legislature will actually impact the congressional lines and the representation that we have at the federal level. Yes. So this is a big... I mean, this and it's is really election. tough to get that across at the door. Well, it's also an argument to, you know, yes, turn out to, to vote for in the presidential campaign, but also there are a lot of races that are down ballot that really impact uh, that really impact our lives. So it's important that people are kind of knowledgeable about who else is on the pal- ballot besides the president. I had a pretty well educated friend say, "Well, yeah, I didn't, I don't, I didn't vote in the primary because I didn't need to because there's no one running against Trump." And I said, "No, but there's like four pages of other people who are on the ballot that are working really hard to earn your vote and and really impact uh, what's going on in our in our communities and our country." And so, so yes, that's this is just has turned into a plea for people to <laughs> get out, make sure they're registered to vote, encourage your friends to register to vote, and and certainly get out to the polls. Yeah, especially there's some Republican runoffs and there's some Democrat primary runoffs coming up. But get vote if you voted in the Republican primary in Texas, you can only vote in the Republican 
primary runoff. If you didn't vote in either primary, you can vote in either primary runoff. Uh, but it is incredibly important. I, I know we've talked to some people, or I've talked to some people that talked about, hey, we should flip the ballot. We should have the, the local small races mm, that nobody knows should be the very top, and the president should be the last one. So if you don't know, go go and vote, but be an educated voter. And if you don't know the names on the ballot, just skip that race. It's yes. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> so, Jason, tell us how we can get in touch with you or follow you. Sure. So on Twitter, Isaac for Texas is me. There's two A's in Isaac and one S. Uh, the Life Powered Project of the Texas Public Policy Foundation that I work on talks about making the connection between access to affordable, reliable energy and the human condition and how well humans are doing since we have access to more affordable, reliable energy. We're actually working to eliminate poverty around the world. And that's the story that we are telling and talking about how people are getting access to energy and it's pulling them out of poverty. Katie on our team wrote a great op-ed last year that got published on Fox News' website that talks about empowering women. And it's if you really want to empower women around the world, get them access to electricity. You know where else it was published? In my new book, Step Up. Oh, that's awesome. That was a really great piece. And so I took some excerpts and included it in kind of here's the case, making the case for why it matters for more conservative voices to be involved. It absolutely does. And there are so many women around the world that have an opportunity for civic engagement if they had access to electricity. Women around the world spend 200 million hours a day walking to collect water. And if they had access to affordable, reliable electricity, affordable energy, then think of the civic engagement they get involved in, starting their own businesses, helping educate their children. Uh, women, there's a, UNICEF has a great video, Aisha, A-Y-S-H-A. It's a two-minute video. It's very powerful. It's moving. It's emotional. It's a 13-year-old girl in Ethiopia who walks eight hours a day to collect water. Oh, my gosh. They show at the end of the video her little brother doing homework. And the first question that came to my mind is, why can't Aisha be doing homework? Mm. And so there are women around the world that you are helping empower, but we can do a better job by getting them access to energy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of policies that are being pushed right now that are looking to drive up the cost of energy for no environmental gain whatsoever. So they can learn more about that at Life Powered through yeah. at the, on the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Yeah, or website. lifepowered.org okay. is our website, lifepowered.org. Okay. Well, great. Jason, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for all you've done for me throughout the past, you know, 10 years that we've that we've known each other. Thank you for your support and encouragement and your continued friendship. Well, really congratulations on your success. I'm proud to have been a small part of it, but you're an inspiration. And thanks for uh, being that inspiration to people around the world. Do you have a story or a question you want answered? Send me a note at ellen at stepuppodcast.com. Also, give Step Up a rating and review in Apple Podcasts so we can reach and inspire more women. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm Ellen Troxclair. Thanks for listening. Now go advocate like a woman.